Hello and welcome to episode number 101 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and enjoy your job. And as finding and keeping great fundraisers for many charities is now as hard as it's ever been, I wanted to share some ideas to help you with the second of these. I caught up with the wonderful Paul Knott, who is a former fundraising manager and recruiter of fundraisers, and who now focuses most of his time working with charities to help them improve their ability to attract and retain great fundraisers. I always feel energised after talking to Paul, and this conversation was no different. This is the first half of our recent interview, and I hope you find it helpful. Paul Knott, how are you? All right, how are you, Rob? Yes, very well, thank you. At the end of quite a long week, but ever so pleased to be talking to you now because we've had these really interesting chats over the years and I have long wanted the chance to do another of these episodes for our listeners. I know you were a fundraiser for a long time, but so that the listeners can tune in to what your area of expertise is now, could you give us the short version of a bit of your background and then leading into what you're doing currently? Certainly can. Um, So the first bit of my career, as you say, was as a fundraiser and then having got somewhat frustrated with some of the recruitment experiences I'd had in the sector, I moved on to the recruitment side and worked there for 16 years. Um, And within that, I mean, it it very much sort of tallied with what your loves are as a fundraiser. It's very people focused. So got to hear lots from people about what really motivated them to stay in their job, what motivated them to leave, and speaking to employers about what they were looking for when they were going out to find somebody new. And alongside that, did a lot of coaching of individuals, chiefly fundraisers and and senior managers, and helping them to work out exactly what success looks like for them. And that's one thing I still carry on doing now, find out what success looks like to them and then how to work out strategies to get there rather than just thinking that, you've got to do what everybody else does and keep up going more and more senior and, and hitting the big director job, which drives some people, but not for all. So now having been a recruiter for 16 years, I saw many times when a recruiter is the perfect solution to a problem. And also many times when an organization was maybe using a recruiter, when they just needed to be a bit better at attracting those staff and shouting from the rooftops, how great they were as an employer. So now I work internally with organizations to help them improve all their processes around attracting staff and putting their best foot forward as an employer and making themselves an employer of choice so they can attract the best people, but also alongside that working on retention because it's no good getting the best people if you can't hold on to them. And there's many easy solutions to that. But if you don't do them, you don't do them and you just churn through people. And as I say, additionally to those two things, I still work with individuals in the charity sector and without just to help them end up finding what success means to them and basically being happy in what they do and getting the work-life balance that really makes a difference to them. So today, really looking forward to speaking chiefly about retaining good staff when you've got them. And hopefully that can make a difference to some of the listeners. Yeah. And inevitably, if you can do that, happy staff are going to enjoy being braver and more creative and working to the utmost of their ability. And so income is going to go up as well, isn't it? If you decide this is a really valid problem to put your energy into. And inevitably, recruitment will also become less of a difficult problem to solve as well. But in terms of the practicalities of it, if you're working with a charity now and it's busy and it's stretched and it's not sure 
what they can do to be that kind of place to work and to, to increase the length of time people are likely to want to stay working there. What's your starting point for how they go about getting some options? So because this is Bright Spot and it's about fundraising, fundraising is a really interesting department to look at in terms of retention because really it's just about using the same mindset because particularly if you work in individual giving direct marketing, you've probably got retention as part of your job description and even every other fundraising um, fundraising income stream. It's all about going out and attracting people to, to give and then keeping their interest. So it's really about taking all those skills and just turning them towards the people who work for you. So as I say, a lot of it is just a, a, just a sort of mind shift about how to do it. And really to look at how to go about it first, you've got to think about why people actually want to move on from their job because fundraising particularly, as I say, is an interesting one to look at, partly because there's this odd situation in fundraising whereby People often say, or employers who don't have great retention will often say to me, yes, but it, it's fundraising. People don't stay longer than 18 months or two years. That's just how it is. And it's become almost this truism in the sector that fundraisers move jobs all the time. And it is partly true, but it isn't always. And actually, there are lots of organisations who have much, much better retention than that. But because it's it, it happens in a lot of organisations, it's easy to use that as an excuse. It's interesting when I work with employers as a recruiter and I they, they would come to me with a role that that they were recruiting for I'd ask them if it was an existing role that somebody had moved on from why did the previous person leave and yes you got the occasional one who they'd either been promoted or they'd moved geographically but very often they would say it's because of career progression or they wanted a higher salary we couldn't give them or they just felt it was time and all of those things are just bland answers that people give their employers when they ask them without probing any further when I spoke to candidates who are coming to work with me their main reasons were very often the line manager, and there are reasons, there are ways you can work that out. It's one of the hardest things to work out as an employer, but it's doable. I'll come back to that. That they felt they were underappreciated. So really common, again, with fundraising was, I would have somebody say to me, well, I just bought in 150% of my target. My colleague was 50% under target, and we both just had a cost of living increase and nothing else. So they feel underappreciated. Salary-wise, that is often a thing. People aren't money motivated particularly, but again, it's that feeling appreciated and feeling that things are, are moving on. So if someone's been somewhere for years and their salary stayed exactly the same and they know they can get more elsewhere, that'll make them think about moving. And the really painful part of recruiting was that often I would see the person coming to me saying they just wanted a few thousand more and that was all that would make a difference to them their employer had said they couldn't afford to do that but then when they then resigned the employer often offered them more money and because they then didn't want to stay because they'd found another job and they'd sort of moved away mentally by that point the employer then came to me to find them a replacement and were paying me to find them a replacement money which they could have just given to the person to keep them in house in the first place <laughs> another really common reason is they say and this comes into this sort of moving around side of things of saying, well, I feel I should move because I've been there a couple of years and does it look bad if I stay there a long time? And that's, I wanted to talk about this truism in fundraising because it impacts more junior roles a lot. And it gets talked about so often because people do move a lot because fundraising can be very high stress. So, and there's a lot of competition for candidates as well. So there is the opportunity for people to move. And if you're not looking after your attention, People are getting approached all the time, so they can move on quickly. The line manager's awful, they can move on. But what that's caused is because it happens so often, is people then feel they should move on. So I had lots of people coming to me saying, well, and when I really unpacked where they were with things about why they're looking to move, they would say, well, 
I love the cause. I love the job. I love my team. I love my line manager. It's brilliant. It's just the organization I wanted to work for. But I've been there two years and people will think badly of me if I don't move. And really half of my job, and this is probably in some ways why I wasn't the best recruiter because I kept convincing people to stay in the jobs they're in. But very often when you actually said to them, it's fine to stay where you are if you feel you're getting something out of it and enjoying it and you don't have to move quickly because a career is a really long amount of time. So you can take your time. You don't have to be progressing in terms of seniority. You can just be progressing in terms of learning more about what you're doing. It's totally fine. And the amount of people, particularly more junior people who just sort of sat back and said, oh, so it's okay. And would look so relieved and then go and spend another year or two in their job doing incredible stuff. But there was this impression that it's bad if you don't move on. And we need to try and move away from that. But part of moving away from that is stopping as an employer thinking that that's just a thing that happens and we lose people every two years. And that's how it is because genuinely not everybody does at all. And some people have very good retention. Yes, Paul, so interesting to hear you say it that way, because it absolutely chimes with some of those really unhelpful myths out there. And just reframing them that way is really helpful, I think. If we're looking at retention overall, from your point of view, whose overall responsibility is it to solve it to help a charity do that better? Very simply, it's not HR's. And it's very often seen that it is HR's responsibility and they may have staff retention as part of their job description and they may have um, metrics they're, they're tracking for it. But actually it comes down to the line managers and the, the senior management team. So HR will look at things and so often you see organisations that have a list as long as your arm of staff benefits like vouchers and gym and health insurance and bowls of fruit in the office and that sort of thing, which are all lovely but I've never seen that make a difference to somebody taking a job and being interested in one or in terms of staying in one. The things that do make a difference are good salaries or salaries that are reasonable, pension and things like enhanced parental and care leaves. Those are really important. And with everything, with both attracting staff and keeping them, flexibility is everything. And that does have to come from HR working with senior management team. Flexibility has always been a really good one for attention. Going back pre-everybody getting used to having more flexibility, things like having nine-day fortnights where you could do slightly compacted hours and, and have every other Friday off, had a huge impact because once somebody got used to doing that, it was much harder for them to move elsewhere that, that didn't have that nine-day fortnight because they were used to it. But now flexibility has finally, because I've been banging this flexibility drum with organisations for years with quite a bit of success, but not always. But now there's a much bigger trend towards flexibility that is your way of keeping people, giving flexibility that means something to them and allowing people to have more power to shape their own their own working patterns. So those things can come from HR, but the majority of the ways of retaining people comes from the line manager and the line managers can't do it without the senior staff being behind it. To help our listeners, I don't know if there's an organisation or two that spring to mind that you like and you respect as doing pretty well in this area? Definitely. I mean, there are lots. It's interesting. There are, there are so many organisations that have good bits and they've done some bits really well and, and other bits not so well but one that really stands out as having got so many of the things right is young minds who i've worked with quite a lot in in recent years their attention's excellent and it, th there's a number of different reasons for it i think one key thing i mean young minds are a mental health charity so staff well-being is correctly a, a, a big focus for them staff feel looked after and they know they have that level of trust where they know they can trust their line manager to share if they're struggling, either either with work or personally, if someone's having a difficult time, 
that's prioritized with access to external help if if they need it but also support with their role so it's a sort of it's it's a quite sort of coherent mix that that support comes in and to give an example of that i mean i've seen in in my time there a team member who had a had a situation outside work that just needed their attention that they're in one of the fundraising departments and frankly many organizations that person would have basically had to deal with that alongside their work and try and make both work and probably neither would have done but instead at your minds it just got flagged to their line manager who just immediately gave them the time off they needed to deal with it and their work was absorbed by the rest of the team and beyond that it wasn't just absorbed by the rest of their team because there's around there's only about 20 people in the whole fundraising team at your minds despite the fact they do incredible things with those 20 people but the interesting thing was to watch what happened was as soon as that manager mentioned that they were a member of staff down for a few days all of the other departments had people say, well, I can help and I can do some of it. And this one person's work got shared out amongst about five different people. So it was barely noticed. It didn't impact really heavily on anyone particularly, but that was just done. Nobody got asked to help. People just offered. And the reason for that is because the team feel quite close to one another. They do nice things like they have virtual coffees three times a week all the way through the pandemic. So you can go if you want to, and if you're busy, you don't, but it makes them feel part of something. They know what each other do. So they've got a good idea of each other's roles, even if they're not specialist in it. And they just have that sense of shared purpose. So it was just a natural thing to all of those people that when they saw there was a need, they didn't want that other team to be completely up up to their necks and, and having too much work on. So it just got absorbed. And that didn't have to be checked off with the line manager of each of those income streams because everyone knew that's fine. And that just makes a a, a huge difference. Hi, it's Rob. And I wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about our two flagship courses designed to help you grow high value fundraising results. That's the Major Gifts Mastery Programme and the Corporate Mastery Programme. Rather than have me tell you about how they work, I thought it would be most interesting if you could hear from someone who's done one of these courses recently. So here is a short clip from Sam Harford, who is a philanthropy officer at the British Red Cross, talking about her experience. Hi, my name is Sam and I'm a philanthropy officer for the British Red Cross. Um, If you want to improve your major donor approaches and raise more money for your charity, I would really, really recommend Rob's Major Donor Mastery course. It was absolutely fantastic for me and built my confidence so much and I really began to change my mindset and start focusing on cultivating for major donor relationships rather than major donor gifts. Since joining the program I've raised over £600,000 in pledges and donations so I'm really grateful for all of the support and guidance from Rob. The next programmes will begin in the autumn of 2022 and at the time of recording in July they are filling up as quickly as ever. So if you'd like to find out more about either the Major Gifts Mastery Programme or the Corporate Mastery Programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. For now, though, let's get back to my conversation with Paul Knott. I think one of the main, main things which I talk to clients about is trust. Trust counts for so much in terms of retention. And again, Young Minds, really good example. They have their core hours. You work around those core hours, but the the interesting difference with them is that I haven't really seen elsewhere is that if you have something come up in the week that you need to do, so it might be something comes up with, with kids or something externally that you need to do, then you can just do it. 
within the workday and you don't have to tell anybody. You might put it in your diary so people know you're not free from eatings, but you don't have to flag it with your line manager and get sign off. You can just go and do it. And when I was working with Young Minds, I sat down with so many members of the, of the organisation and so many of them said a sentence along the lines of, it's the first job where I feel I've been really treated like an adult. And it all came to that because everyone had a story of something they'd needed to do in their time there that they were just able to do. And everyone said the first time they did it, they told their line manager and they told somebody else and they made sure that sure the team knew. And then their line manager often said, we well, don't need to tell me, that's fine. You can just go and do it. And then beyond that, they've realised that they can. And it doesn't happen that often, but when they want to, they can do that. And it's just understood that they'll make up the time elsewhere. And that's an agreed thing. And I think, again, with fundraising, it's it's massively important to do that because generally in a lot of fundraising roles, you're often expected to do a bit extra here and there when it's needed, whether it's an event or, or an evening thing or going and helping out at a, at a third party event. And that's sort of a given. But in a lot of organisations, it's not reciprocated and you're, not, you're expected to do your nine to five and those bits as extra. And if you need to do anything else, you're expected to take annual leave for it. But at Young Minds, they don't, and they are treated like adults. And that is one of the main things people refer to about, about why they love working there. So, Paul, listening to that, now you've said those examples, I can totally see why someone would think twice, three times, four times before wanting to leave or go and start talking to a recruiter if they feel that welcome and that appreciated and that much trust going both ways. It makes total sense to me why the organisation doing some things which may not initially be easy and may feel like a risk, I totally see how it pays back in terms of high morale and high teamwork and high productivity. I, I get that you get the payback, but I also hear some of these things are probably not very easy for some organisations or the default ways of thinking of some places. For instance, someone might say, well, you know, if we did it that in our place, people would take the mickey. Any thoughts for someone who, who wants for their organisation to do better in this way? And they do have some level of influence. They might be a team manager or a director. Practically speaking, how could they take the culture more in that direction? I and mean, I think certainly in terms of the people who are worried about people sort of taking too much almost when they offer them those things, it's in some ways the argument for flexibility as a whole, to my mind, has always been that if you give people flexibility and say you have people remote working, it forces your managers to manage people based on outputs rather than on presenteeism. And actually that's a good thing across the board because we'll all have seen and every manager will have seen somebody in an organisation they've worked at who might be at their desk all day, but they don't do anything or they're on Facebook behind their computer. But having that flexibility, it does force you to, to manage people based on what they're actually doing. And that goes for this, this sort of flexibility about letting people manage their own time as well, that managers should be managing on outputs anyway. And if they're not, then they're probably managing on presenteeism and that's just not effective, particularly with fundraising. It's fairly easy with fundraising as well because there are outputs in every fundraising stream. I think also it's interesting to think about connection to the cause. And this is an easy one that anybody in fundraising sort of manager level can do, because as I say, it's taking what you've got anyway as a fundraiser and just turning it around and facing it towards your your staff. So again, taking Young Minds is a really good example. They connect their staff to the cause and it's about connecting to the cause, both in terms of beneficiaries and the cause in terms of a place to work. So in terms of connecting to the beneficiaries, 
staff meet youth activists a lot. They get notifications from the wider organisation and the campaigns team about what's going on and what difference has been made and feedback they've had from people who have been helped. Those get shared across the organisation all the time, not just in one annual event where, you know, everyone gets told the top line of what's been happening. And even things like people can go and sit with the helpline where it's hard and you hear some some incredible stories, but it really hits you in terms of the difference that's being made. And as a fundraiser, it gives you a constant stream of sort of new things to be able to talk to your supporters about. So it's valuable both ways. But it isn't just about connecting people to the beneficiaries. It's also to make you feel part of something. So when you start at Young Minds, you meet with people from all different departments. So you get that connection. So it's not just a meeting where you get told what somebody does and that's it. You actually get to have a chat with them. It's very sort of free form. So you find out what they do, how your role fits with them. And and then you've got a friend in that department almost. And that means that if you ever need anything in your role, you've always got somebody in each department that you know of it. So you're much more willing to call them. And then again, it's about feeling part of a whole and part of something. You also meet one-to-one with Emma, the CEO over there, who's also wonderful and where a lot of this stuff filters down from as well. And with the more junior roles, particularly that that we were sort of finding when I was there, they're often terrified about seeing that they had a one-to-one meeting with the CEO, but all of them afterwards said, my God, that was amazing. I had a wonderful chat and it was lovely. And I really understand more about the organization. And it, it makes a big difference having that sort of trickle down from the top connection having that sort of connection with other departments really gives an idea of context beyond an organogram for the organization. It's really understanding how your role fits in with the whole. And it's particularly important for those roles that don't receive the big checks, particularly say admin people don't get that same direct link that fundraisers do. So if you're a fundraiser going after a piece of restricted funding and you get a check-in, it's really easy for you to know, well, that money I've just taken in will make this difference to our beneficiaries because you had to write all that in your bid or you had to tell your major donor when you're making the ask to them. So you know exactly how you just made a difference. But if you're working in admin, it's much more ephemeral to work out actually how your your administration actually feeds into making the difference. But without that admin, we all know that ask probably wouldn't have happened in the first place. So giving that context in the organisation makes everybody feel part of a whole. And I'll challenge everyone because I think everyone thinks that they've connected their staff to the cause really well. But I think a really interesting, if you're feeling brave, test to do as a manager is to put a little questionnaire together to give to your staff that is just a few brief questions basically around what you do and maybe what you don't do as an organisation. And it can be multiple choice if you like and give it to your staff to submit. And you might be surprised that your staff that you thought were really engaged actually don't know as much as you think they should do about your organisation. It can be really valuable as a wake-up call to really encourage you to make sure everybody is connected and everybody knows exactly what's going on. But part of that connection, and that will really retain people, and again, it's just about using your fundraising skills, but on your staff, is making sure that you thank your staff. I think one of the real shame about the, the charity sector as a whole is that we've got all these teams who are incredibly good at telling our supporters how their money they give makes a difference to the beneficiaries. And we tell them all the time, but we often forget to tell our staff what a difference their work makes. So the direct marketing or IG team have retention in their job titles or in their job descriptions. As I've said, you could ask them for tips about what they, what they do with um, the supporters. The CEO could actually phone up and thank people when they've done good work. 
And one thing I love doing with managers to help fundraisers calculate, and this is even for those ones who get the big checks in, because I think, as we all know, if you're doing major doses or trusts or legacies, you work and work and work and work and work. And then one day you get a huge check in and you get this incredible rush and it feels amazing. You dance around the office or around your living room if you're working at home at the time. And then the next day you still get a bit of a buzz. And then beyond that, it kind of dissipates a bit. But you know that all that work you've been doing in the days where you didn't feel like that were working up to it and it wouldn't have happened without it. But it's hard to get a handle on it. So what I like to do is with fundraising senior managers or senior managers to do it with their staff is work out what that staff member brings in per year, divide that number by the number of days they actually work, and that is the amount of money they bring in every day because every day contributes to that whole. And then if you compare that daily amount they bring in to that shopping list, which is a fundraiser you've probably got in your head, knowing what different amounts of money we'll pay for and what difference it'll make to the beneficiaries, Mm -hmm. and actually remind your member of staff that every single day when they finish work, they can go home knowing that they have made that tangible difference to your beneficiaries. I often, when I'm coaching individuals, suggest that they put a reminder on their phone that pings every night when they're, when they're meant to be leaving their desk, just to remind them they've made that difference because it's true. Every day is contributing to that whole, but it's very difficult for us all to remember. And if it is an admin person, just think about the whole team's income and let them know that they're part of that because it's all all part of it. But having that connection will cost you nothing to do. You can do it anyway because you know it all in your head because you're telling your donors all the time. But if you tell your staff, it'll make an enormous difference to keeping them. I love these tactics, Paul. Very creative, but like you say, very doable if we use what we know as fundraisers. So, Paul, thank you ever so much for making time to share these ideas. I really appreciate not only the specific tactics that some of our listeners could try out, but also those examples you've shared, especially of of how young minds have been doing this stuff really well. So um, well done to them if they ever listen to this. It sounds fabulous and a fabulous place to work. And thank you, Paul, for coming along to share it. Just before we finish, if someone wants to feed back to you or, or get in touch uh, about anything how would they find you if you want to get in touch with me the, the easiest way at the moment is my the website's about to be sorted it is just on linkedin so it's paul not that's n for november o double t you can find me on linkedin and drop me a message there and i'll get back to you well i hope you found paul's ideas helpful if so and you've not yet subscribed please do click the subscribe button today so that you don't miss out on all the other episodes we've got coming up including the follow-up episode in which i share the second half of the conversation with paul which contains lots more ideas to help you retain great people. If you'd like a full transcript and a short summary of the episode, go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you're interested in finding out more about our flagship courses, the Corporate Mastery Programme or the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, then do check out the information about this blend of masterclasses, individual coaching and other resources on our website at brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services and if you enjoyed today's episode then i'd be incredibly grateful if you take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that we can keep helping as many good causes as possible you can tag paul and i on twitter at at paul consulting and at woods underscore rob we're both on linkedin and finally i'm excited to say that brightspot is now on instagram at at brightspot fundraising lastly thank you so much for listening today Best of luck with your fundraising 
and with all your efforts to create a work culture where great people keep fundraising for your charity for as long as they possibly can. I look forward to sharing more Bright Sport ideas and examples with you very soon. Bye.